for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, today is Tuesday, March 3rd, 2020, and today we have a great podcast. We have Pat Jesse on, and we're going to talk about how Michigan could be the best state to hunt whitetails in. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and this is episode 104. And on the other line is my trusty, busty co-host, Justin Fabian. Did you say what's going on, man? Did you say trusty, busty. Yeah, busty. Oh, You're kind of busty, busty in a way. Yeah, it's pumping the yeah. iron, man. Getting getting swole up in the yeah, upper regions of the body. <laughs> the man pecs. Yeah. The man boobs. Man boobs. Not the dad yep. bod boobs. Yep. But the good kind. <laughs> but that is not what today's podcast is all about. Today's podcast is totally off script from the questions that I formulated for our podcast guest but that's all right <laughs> today we do have a fellow michigander on his name is pat jesse he actually grew up in the area that i grew up i don't know him i've known of him we've never crossed paths which is pretty crazy but uh we talk a lot about michigan and michigan deer hunting and and uh i mean that's it's it's kind, that's kind of broad i know that but like we do cover quite a bit in this and um, we'll probably do more than likely we'll probably do a part two sometime just because we didn't get a, to a lot of the questions that we had wrote down, but, uh, I think it was pretty good conversation. It, yeah. it does get a little lengthy, but, um, I think we hit on some good points. I don't, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, there are definitely some good points in there. I mean, it's, it's evident that, that Pat brings a lot of knowledge to the table and I know for you and people in your, in your region, your, your people up there, your tribe, uh, you guys, you guys kind of know who he is. So it was kind of cool for me to just hear it as someone who doesn't really know who he is, but he, uh, he's a deer hunter, man, through and through. There's no doubt about that. He's, he plays by the rules 24 yeah. seven, whether it's food plots, 
soil pH or how to shut your door in the driveway, you know, so it's, um, some people might call it overkill on a few of the aspects, but the guy's got a reputation for killing big deer. So he's obviously doing something right. Yeah, he does. And, and, you know, if you guys have never heard of Pat, he has been very successful, you know, in what he's been doing and he does the things he does for a reason. And if you knew his track record in, in the deer that he kills year in and year out, whether it's in Michigan or out of state, I mean, he does have a good track record. He's, he's killed some very good deer here in Michigan and out of state. I mean, he doesn't really want to toot his own horn, I don't think, but I guess I will a little bit. And, and you know, from what I know of him, he's, he's a very solid outdoorsman and uh, just knows what he's doing, and he does things for a reason. And he, yeah. he gets into that, like Justin said, about, you know, all the way down to how you close your door in, in the driveway of the farm. So it's, it's pretty crazy, but uh good conversation all in all. And um, I don't know, I, I, I guess that's all I got, to, I got to say about that. And I guess we can probably kick it over to that interview because uh, people are probably sick of us talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope not. Uh, oh, I got to, I got to talk about one more thing. I got to, I'm sorry. I'm going to, I'm going to keep this going for a minute. No, you're good. You're good. I, uh, I, I got to plug ABB again. I know we kind of brought it up last week, but I had a great buying experience with Bryant over the weekend. Uh, actually, it was in the middle of the week. I don't even think I told you about this yet, but, um, so I ordered a VXR about two months ago now, and I'm, I'm getting down to the point where it's, it's going to be shipping any day now. So I keep checking the credit card statement, watching for that, for that bill to come through. But I, sure, uh, sure. I've been kind of planning my build here the last, the last few days. And, uh, I text Bryant and I was like, Hey, is it possible to, to twist three colors of a string? And he was like, yeah, man, absolutely. What are you looking for? So I sent him, I sent him the color codes and everything. And he was like, dude, that's going to look sweet. He's like, I'm going to put this order in tomorrow morning. And I mean, they don't advertise tricolor strings and it's just a testament to the, to the customization that they have available to anybody. So, um, keep it in mind, really good service, uh, quick order. And he accommodated exactly what I asked for. Yeah. All those guys over there, I've said it before, you and I've both said it and they are just solid to work with. Yeah. I mean, whoever you want to talk to, whether it's Tim or Jerry, the owner, or Bryant, you know, and those are the guys that, that I know the most, so that's the only thing I can really speak to. But those guys know their stuff. Their customer service is second to none. And usually, I mean, they're, they're like two-day shipping. Like yeah. if you order a string today, I mean, two days, you're, you're going to – two or three days, you're going to have it. Yep. So, which is nice. Yeah. Um, if you look at, look at the invoice when it comes in or when you get that email about your shipping, I mean, I, I only, I live in Iowa and those strings are coming from Ohio. Every string I've got has come second day air. So I was like, wow, that's okay. Sweet. Thank you. (laughs) And we're, and we're not getting any special treatment though, either, even though we know them, you know, personally, we're not like, if you order one, you're getting it. I mean, you're getting it quick. So And they make a quality string, a really good. And honestly, I recommend the Platinums. Just yeah. that's me. But I'm not saying any of the other strings, whether it's the Pursuit or the Premium, they're they're not bad strings at all. All of them are. My dad, he got a Pursuit. I actually got a Pursuit string for my backup bow. 
um, they're solid strings. I just yeah, like sure. the little more customization that you can get in the platinum. Yeah. And uh, and I I don't know I just like dealing with them honestly. Yeah, so me too. I'm, it's a string I'm gonna shoot forever. Yeah, same here, man. It's I'm looking forward to tack. I'm, you and I are shooting together, and uh, I'm gonna be with with your whole crew of guys and Brian's going to be joining us on that shoot. So I'm, I'm looking forward to a fun weekend of that and just kind of kicking it with everybody for a couple of days and breaking a bunch of arrows. <laughs> yeah. June can't get here quick enough. I know. Total, total archery challenge. Michigan edition is going to be lit. <laughs> lit. Might have to throw a video together. Like we, we put the podcast on the, on YouTube, but maybe that'll require a little, little extra something, something. We'll do a video. We'll do one. All right, well, you know, this intro is getting a little lengthy. Let's uh, let's get over this interview with Pat, and uh, let's get this thing started. All right, we're back today on another episode of the Fall Podcast, and today we have Pat Jessian from Michigan. Pat, how's it going, man? Pretty good. Good, good deal. So before we do get into this, uh, I do want you to let you know the viewer, viewers, listeners know. Uh, you know, who you are, what you do, and, and where you're from. Sure. So uh, I'm originally from Claire, Michigan, um, born and raised uh, just north of uh, Claire. And from that point, uh, graduating high school and moved into the Mount Pleasant area. So I've been basically mid-Michigan most of my life. Um, been in sales Pretty much all my adult career here has been, uh, um, one way or another, been in the sales world. So I'm currently employed uh, AIS construction equipment. So for those of you in Michigan are pretty aware of uh, who that is. Yep. I get to travel Michigan uh, daily from one end to the other. So I get to you know, kind of be all part of the <laughs> the mitten, if you will. So You're all over. But, um, yeah, I am. And, you know, Outside of work, uh, you know, second is 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 hunting and fishing. I mean, being a being part of the Michigan outdoors has been a huge part of my life since I was, you know, tall enough to be able to go out with my dad at five years old and fishing and hunting. To, you know, I'm 35 years old now, so I've kind of uh, been part of a lot of whether it be in the lakes or in the woods, and you know, kind of brought us to this point. And I've uh, listen to your podcast Aaron and it's been a pleasure to get invited to even do this so yeah. I'm open to uh to what you guys got and you know one of my goals I think we talked about one of my goals here is to try to iterate uh some possibilities for Michigan hunters to change the attitude of it being tough to hunt or the deer aren't big enough or there's not enough land that's something that uh every time I hear that I've I've it kind of makes me cringe because I have been fortunate to hunt a lot of other states and, and, uh, you know, I, I still think Michigan's one of the greatest states in, in North America to hunt. And I just hope people, and I think I can help talk and come up with some ideas for people to, uh, be able to do things a little bit different to be more proud of where we are and, and hunt the mid Michigan high pressure deer. Yeah, and I, you know, I think Justin and I both can relate to you. I mean, he grew up in in upstate New York, which, from my understanding, you know, I've never been up there, but Justin grew up there, and from what he's told me, you know, a lot of a lot of 
what we do in Michigan is is how he grew up in upstate New York as well. And him and yeah. I talk on it, you know, regularly of how he grew up to I and it's very similar. And, you know, Pat, you're you're you and I live like basically neighbors, you know, you and I've never met, which is pretty crazy. But um, you know, we've hunted the same areas and done a lot of the same things. So I think this is gonna be interesting and in a good conversation and I kinda wanna gear it towards the Michigan thing. Um I do wanna get into some some uh you know, mindsets, but also get into management practices and things that you do to gear up for the fall in, in the later season. So definitely something that Justin and I are going to be able to relate to. And uh, yeah, I can't wait for this one, man. Super. Well, cool. Let's, uh, let's kick it off here. And, you know, I guess where I want to start and is is basically what are your goals when it comes to hunting Michigan Michigan whitetails? Like, is you know is it an age structure? Is it uh, an antler size? Is it you know what is your goal? It could be amount of deer you kill in a year, or you know just successful encounters. Like, what what are your goals sure. and how do you how do you weigh them out? Well, that is a good question, and I could. That that question alone could last an hour, so you got to <laughs> shut me off at some point. Here. Yeah, let's let's keep it to I, I like. Do, uh, I will hit to uh, yeah. I can keep it to some key reasons and what I consider success or my goals. Um, it's not necessarily inches or, you know, I got to be. I have a wife that also you know and you know she kind of that whole if you can't beat them join them attitude. <laughs> yep. So she uh, she joined uh, joined kind of the the hunting world you know, soon after her and I met, which was 14 years ago. And, you know, so a lot of the success and things here locally revolves around, you know, her hunting as well, you know? So, you know, when I think about our goals, it isn't just me, you know, but my personal goals, you know, on my properties here in mid Michigan, whether it be Clare County, Isabella, Macom, uh, I do shoot for that three and four year old deer. Um, I'm not getting carried away trying to think and hey, I'm going to kill 150 and 60 inch deer. That's not, that that's great, but that's not in my mind realistic. I think that, uh, you know, when I do all my preparation and all the things that I do year round here, it's, it's the focus on harvesting a three to four year old deer at this time. Um, that might get better as, you know, five years down the road, but, you know, I think we've already done a good job where, you know, we're seeing, I know you guys have seen some of the deer killed in Michigan in the last two years. And really in this last, this last year was something special. There were some beautiful deer killed in, in the mid Michigan area. And I think that that's a, you know, that's just from a, what a lot of people are, are growing to do. And I think that, uh, you know, my goals are, are mature deer, but my goals are also to try to have the best herd that, you know, I can try to manage on my mid-sized farms. You know, my my farms are from 40 to 150 acres. Um, so you do what you can with what you got the best you can. Yep. So, you know, my goals are definitely to, my bucks are to harvest and try to get them to three and four years old. Um, now with that, you know, comes a lot of things, you know, your doe managements and stuff like that, that we focus on. And, you know, there's no, there's no arguing anymore. You know, our, our mid Michigan deer herd definitely needs to be in check, you know, 
you know, when you go and you see fields with a hundred deer in them, you know, and, you know, in a bean field at night, it's just, it's concerning and you yeah. don't see as many people harvesting does. And that, that's one thing that I think that people could add to their arsenal of trying to, to do a better job locally. And, you know, is to find it in them to harvest does. And if that means eating more venison, um, you know, different things that, that you got to get back to doing that probably the older generation was bigger parts of, you know, you, you, everybody's out to shoot a big buck, you know, today, but they're not about taking the four, five, six, seven, eight, ten does every year either because yep. they don't know what to do with it or they don't have, you know, if it is processing, if it's the cost and that sort of stuff. But, you know, we're big advocates of managing your doe herd and we've seen that come back around. And I know that if we wouldn't have, we wouldn't be shooting the bucks that we do on our farms um, because we just have too many deer. Right. And that's never a good thing. The fishbowl effect is it never works out. So, yeah. And that's, you know, when you're to go back to talk about, you know, you're, you're shooting for a three or four year old. I mean, I'm right there in the same boat and, but it didn't happen overnight. Um, it's, it's been a progression. I remember talking to Justin not too long ago, you know, I killed a, a buck in 2008, I believe it was 2008. It was 105 inches, uh, eight pointer with my bow. First, first buck I ever killed on camera. And I felt like I was, I made it, I did something. You know what I mean? Like it, it goes mm-hmm. in, it goes in steps, it goes in progressions. And now, you know, here 12 years later, whatever, however long it's been, it's, it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to do an inch thing, but it, yeah. it, that does get brought into it a little bit. And I'm not saying that, uh, that's my goal, but you know, it is the world that we live in now. You know, and it's like, and that's the biggest thing Justin and I talk about, and he can talk a little bit after this too, is like, you're not accepted unless you kill big animals and they have to have a certain inch on their head. Um, And, you know, it's all a relevancy as well, because for me to try to shoot something here in Michigan, that's, you know, a four or five year old, 150 inches, I I would never kill a deer because, you know, it, it just doesn't happen that way. And Justin can talk a little bit more on this too, because he, uh, I mean, he grew up, like I said, upstate New York. And, you know, I don't know if you and I have really talked much about your goals when you were growing up the last couple of years when you were in New York before you moved to Iowa. If you want to talk a little bit about that, Justin. Sure. Um, I, you know, like like Aaron said, it's there's a lot of similarities, I think, in the in the mindset that you guys have up there of of what's realistic, <clears throat> you know, what the expectation should be for a whitetail hunter and um I mean I've been I've been to Michigan I've seen what you hunt here like it was it was a turkey season but I mean you guys have you've got just as much ag as we do like we're big dairy country and I know up in the UP you guys really resemble what the Adirondack Park looks like with with old growth you know big boreal forest timber and it's it's just vast like you have every yep. opportunity not opportunity I would say but like you've got a good variety of habitat for a white-tailed deer and within one, one state. And, uh, just, you can go up to the UP in that big timber and you might find a eight, nine, 10 year old buck. That's going to go 150, 170. Uh, you, you might see one in your life or have an opportunity at one in your life, just like in the Adirondacks or else you can hunt the ag land, you know, further South and, you know, 
blend in with the orange army and do the drives with, with all <laughs> yep. your buddies and the family, you know, and <clears throat> you know, if, if it's Brown, it's down, but, um, you know, and I say that loosely. I don't mean to say like we're all out there just shooting every fawn that runs out. But well, that's how it used to just, be, though. Too. I mean, yeah, it, it is, was. But it's things have changed a lot, and I think Aaron will. You know, you can see it, and you know, I know you're gone a lot these days. You know, during the, you know, the what I call the harvest season, because um, I consider deer season all year. I guess that's, I'm kind of funny, but deer season to me is 365 days a year. So I just have it broke up into, you know, harvest season to me is when that's the time of the year that you actually harvest the deer that, yep. that you're going after. But um, I'm hunting them all year long. But, you know, things have come a long ways and progressed. I mean, go back five years and it for someone to say that I was going to kill, you know, consistent Pope and young deer in Michigan, uh, it wouldn't even most actually most people didn't even know what Pope and Young meant. Right. So, you know, things have come a long ways in even a short period of time. And I think that is due to a lot of things like these types of podcasts to give people a better understanding on how to, to get deer um, management programs or deer, to the next age class. I mean, a deer does a, a really, you know, deer to me are the most remarkable. I mean, I, I love, you know, mother nature can do some awesome stuff, but white-tailed deer are remarkable. If you actually know them and study them and learn about them and all the stuff that goes with it, it's, it's something, but a deer can change a lot from that two to three years old. And from three to four, it's a whole different animal. And uh, I think that people are starting to see that. And I think that, you know, people knowing that on the next section that, you know, they heard that the neighbor killed a, 145 inch deer 125 inch deer it gives him hope and it gives him some belief that it can happen and i think that that's happened in mid-michigan and i do see a bright future um you know with you know getting to that next age class rather than the the one and two year olds that are getting killed traditionally yep yeah, no, I agree, yeah. and I might have to go off script here because I've we hit a we hit a we hit something in me that I'm passionate about, and I think all three of us are as well. And what I kind of want to go off script with here is, you know, we're talking about, you know, five years ago it was different. Now let's go back to when you know when I told when I said 2008 and 2009. Back then, yep. when I shot that deer that you know 105 inch two and a half year old eight pointer that was the biggest deer ever to me you know like then it wasn't there was no such thing as score to me i never knew like what like i knew yep. what score i mean i've heard it talked about but it was never like i got to get back to the truck so i can score him up you know it was always it was just like man i just did something with my bow like and that was actually the first deer that I got on trail cam in the summer and I said, I want to try to pursue that deer, that one deer. Now I wasn't going to pass up a whole bunch of other deer just to kill that one, but just so happened, I tried to hone in on him, move my stand to get closer to where I think he was betting. And he walked by the first night after I hung it. And that was really cool to me. Um, and then, you know, the following year, I did it again with a deer a little bit bigger. So then it was like a progression, a steps and progression. But to go back to talk about, you know, 
and we talked about a little bit off record, Pat, is like the social media side of things. I think it's good and bad. There's good and bad. There's there's bad in the sense of, you know, you you're only accepted if you kill something big. You know, that's I think that's a bad thing, definitely. But I think there's some they're good come out of it because people will post pictures like, you know, I passed this deer tonight. Correct. You know, or yep. the the yep. MI Buckpole page, I, I like it. Because yes, right. you do get a lot of like people out there that probably, you know, they're they're shooting little Baskerac eights and stuff like that, which is totally fine. You know, they're sure. you never know what that person is is going through in their life. And that could have been their big steer. That's great. But I also like to see the pictures of the 140s, 150s, 160s, the, you know, and bigger, because mm-hmm. that gives people, like you said, hope. And it's like, okay, the social media could be good as well to say they are out there. They're there, you know, and it, it makes me, if it lights a fire in me because I'm like, okay, I want to go find one of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. I want to. Right. I want to better myself. And it's not it's not like a competition between me and you or me and the next guy. It's a competition between myself. And that kind of came out, Justin and I talked about it, the deer I killed in Iowa this year, deer of a lifetime for sure. And it was, I said it in my in the, the, the episode I was in, I put so much pressure on myself that week because it was an internal battle with myself. Because I, I'm a competitive person, and it was not like I need to kill this deer because he's the biggest one, and none of my friends have killed a deer bigger. It was never once a thought like that. It was, this is what I was put on this earth to do. I believe that, and this is like this is fun to me. This is exciting, and I have to better myself, and that's how I learn and get better. So I know I went on a little tangent and a rant there, but that's kind of <laughs> where, where I'm where I'm coming from with it, I oh. guess. You know, and, and you know, we had our talk before the before we started this, Aaron, and it's it's unique on how many similarities you and I have in the outlook, and I think we're really close to the same, you know, mind frame, or if you will, the the stage of progression in uh, in hunting, and you know, in this whitetail world that we live in today. I think we're in the, you know, we have a lot of the same thoughts and. And that's, that's fun, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, our topic here is to kind of focus on Michigan. Um, and I, I'm just passionate about this state and I don't want to see, you know, the things with the DNR today and the things with this stuff with, you know, kind of, you know, where things are going. I think we've got to hold together here. Um, out of state's always going to be fun. I mean, I do two or three trips a year, um, you know, and I've killed, you know, I've been fortunate to, to kill 160, 70s, 80s, and I killed a 200-inch buck. You know, I've, I've been there, and, and it's awesome. It really is. But when I come back across that state border and, you know, you get the Pure Michigan sign, uh, I'm excited to come home. You know, I've seen some things here in Michigan, and I, and I have been able to, to, to grow my areas to the point where you can – see bucks fighting you can you know consistently see bucks fighting you can see the grunting the chasing the snore wheezing the the different you know ways to you know the deer interact with each other and i think that that's something that i know that i don't have the best places to hunt in in mid michigan by any means but i've been able to to help that area get better and uh and i think other people can enjoy that 
if they do a few small steps um, to get away from what they've done in the past. Um, you know, when you, you, you ask, you know, you know, back to your question, you know, what goals are, you know, goals to, to somebody need to start somewhere. Your and I's goals started when we were younger to, to shoot an eight pointer. Then it was to shoot a, a CVM buck, uh, you know, commemorative bucks in Michigan qualifying deer, which is a hundred inches with a bow and arrow. Um, you know, then it gets into Pope and young and then, you know, it continues to grow because we are competitive with ourselves um, to get to that next level. Once you've kind of been there and done that, though, and I'm not, you know, I got some T-shirts, but I'm starting to come back to that. And I was told by another a friend of mine that one day you'll get to this point. And this particular guy has the most impressive, you know, for antlers. I mean, his his that I've ever met, um, you know, there's he's got. I forget how many we counted deer over 150 inches, but it's like 25. I mean, he, he's done it, but he kind of gave me an idea where I was in the growing aspect of all this as a hunter, where you're going to get, and then what you're going to, you know, basically take a couple steps back. And I think I'm at that point now, you know, where now, where if you'd asked me if I really cared about the Michigan stuff as much as I do today, five years ago or three years ago, I probably would have told you no. And now it's kind of like, you know, I just hear so much negativity about Michigan that I want to turn that around to where people can become excited about it. And I yep. think there's a lot of ways that, you know, further we get into our conversation that, that I can help them maybe with some ideas, you know, on how to find better land, on how to possibly look at the state land that we have here in Michigan. We do have some of the best turkey hunting. You know, it's funny, go down to hunt in, you know, southern Indiana where, you know, there's good deer hunting and the guys, they don't really care about the white-tailed deer down there, but they want to come up and hunt our turkeys. And a lot yep. of us up here, we see, we see, you know, it goes back to the, you want what you can't have. You know, we yep. have turkeys in every field, but you can have such a great time turkey hunting. And that's another thing that, you know, we have to as people to, to gather together and, and get out there and enjoy what Michigan does have to offer. Yeah. And it, it is year round. It's year round. It's, it's salmon fishing in the summer. It's, it's, you know, we've got a tremendous opportunity here in Michigan where we think about Iowa, you know, yeah, I killed a 200 inch deer in Iowa. It's the greatest place ever to killing big white tailed deer. Um, but you can't catch a King salmon there. Right. Right. You know, <laughs> yep. so, you know, not taking any away from it, but you can't, you know, we have an opportunity to Turkey hunt, bear hunt, salmon fish, you know, if you like to fish the rivers, you know, we, we have a, a tremendous state that, you know, but to stay focused on the whitetail side of things, you know, I just, that's part of why I am excited about this conversation was just for a few of the things that I think that I can help the listeners understand in mid-Michigan how to appreciate this area better than they do. Well, and, and, and a lot of people do appreciate it, but. Yeah, you know, and it's. I, I do have one question, actually, before we do get into yep. that, would you, for Justin, to to kind of I don't know where I know you're not a Michigan guy, but you're you're close to it with an with an upstate New York guy. I do have a question for <laughs> you. So you've been you've okay. lived out of state now, and this is something actually you yep. and I have never really talked about. You lived out of state. You've killed some really good deer uh, out of state. Um, do you have a desire to go back to you know? upstate New York to go whitetail hunting again. 
Absolutely. It's not that I turned my nose down to it. It's that's what I grew up on. I mean, it's it's not about <clears throat> like I said. I don't. I don't I'm not going to raise the bar with an unrealistic re, unrealistic expectation. I'd be I'd be I'd be so pleased to go back there and hunt shotgun season and kill a three year old eight point, you know, that scores a hundred and twenty inches. Like yep. be honest, I never shot that kind of a deer when I did live there. <laughs> so yep. it's I, I learned how to hunt there. And I'm I'm glad I didn't get spoiled by learning how to hunt with hundred and sixty inch deer on every farm, you know, in every county. Yeah. Well, and I think, and, and Aaron, you might, you might uh, agree with me here. Um, and I'm not uh, underestimating or, or depreciating any white-tailed deer in any part of the country. But you know, if you can consistently, and this is my feeling, you know, growing up here in Michigan is it allows us to be tremendous in the Midwest as far as if you are consistently harvesting mature deer here in Michigan at even, even at two and a half years old, three and a half, four and a half. But if you're able to consistently do that with archery equipment in, in the high pressured area of Michigan and our deer are a different, they're just, they're just a different deer. They're on edge. I mean, you go to the Midwest and I've hunted Illinois, Iowa, Pike County, you know, all the different, them deer are calmer to me. I mean, maybe it's, they're calmer and to me i don't want to use the word easier to hunt but that has been my experience and i think being that we grew up in this area when i do go to the midwest my opportunities uh you know go up because of the skill level we've had to obtain here you know to be successful i feel like when you do get down to the to the midwest uh, i've i've personally seen that i don't know if that's just you know I don't do you feel at all like that? Well, you know, and it, it not only if I'm hunting or filming cuz I've I've been filming in the Midwest now since 2012. You know, on some of the best farms you could set foot on for whitetails ever. Um mm-hmm. and you know, the my first year 2012 we were down in Illinois at a at a farm called the Grigsby. Uh, it's legendary. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um it it's giant. It's huge. Um and I was filming the first 14 sets that I was with someone filming. I saw 140 inch deer bigger in the first 14 sets. Now yep. we've could have killed a couple of them, but that wasn't what we were there for, you know? Um, and that's another mm-hmm. thing I kind of want to get into like 140 inch deer. There could be a two year old, you know, it could be, Correct. it could be a three year old, um, you know, a four-year-old here in our area or a three-year-old is he's more than likely going to be right around Pope and Young unless you can get, in my experiences, unless you get that, you know, one, one in one, one in 10 deer that just, he's just special, you know? Um, and a lot of our deer don't make it to four or five to, you know, make them get to 150 or 160. So, yeah, I do agree with that, and I think Justin can agree with that too because he's been in the same boat I am. And I don't know if it's so much – I think it is a little bit easier, but I think the opportunity is – is there's more opportunity. And I want to throw a, a crazy 
fact out there for you or, you know, something. The, the, the county that I killed my buck in Iowa this year, it has – there. okay, there is more bow hunters in Michigan. So there's more people that bow hunt in Michigan than there are people that live in that county. Now, if that if people can wrap your head around that, like, I I can't remember how many like bow hunters there are in Michigan that actually buy a tag every year, but I don't know the number right off my head. But I actually looked it up. There are more people that bow hunt in Michigan than there are people that live in that county. If that's not the first thing that tells you, there's deer in Iowa in that county that they. I mean, without, you know, maybe just seeing a farmer or two, they might not see a car or two a day. You know, it's just sure. because it's just so sure. vastly different. Sure. And, um, you know, the buck that I killed this year was a seven-and-a-half-year-old buck. Um, and he was a different animal. He he, he just was. It, the way he – the way he – you know, presented himself the way that he went about himself. He's just different. I mean, in six days, I saw five or six bucks that were over 150 inches in six days. And I sure. could have killed, I could have killed three of them if it wasn't for a couple limbs and my boneheaded mistake of trying to pull back on a deer when I probably shouldn't have, you know, and got busted. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to your point, yeah, I think it is a little easier, but I think, um, circumstantially if that's a word <laughs> you know there's some different circumstances too sure um, sure and so no i just say you know so back to my goals in michigan not to you know drag that out any much further than this but you know my goals here is to have you know it's still a great time you know it goes back to enjoying what you're doing with your wife with your friends you know i got a large group of buddies that are in mid-michigan here that you know, and then with me, you know, I have a, I have a career that, you know, that is very important to me. That's, you know, I get a couple weeks a year to, to slip away. You know, it's not like I can disappear and, and be gone for three or four weeks of scouting and, and, and get to the other States and do those things. I got to pick my, my weeks strategically and whatever hunt that might be. But, you know, with, with our guys that are here locally, you know, we've got a good gang of, guys that are consistently enjoying and and shooting bigger deer you know every year it just seems to be it's becoming more common to shoot a 130 inch 10 pointer today than than it ever has been yep you know so my goal here in michigan has in continues to be to to keep helping my deer get older um helping my herd stay healthy and uh you know, making sure we're still enjoying it and having fun and, and helping some of my other friends and people that do ask me for, for help and make sure that, you know, I'm still learning to be able to offer them more information. Yep. For sure. Um, so that, that's kind of, that's where my goals are, I guess. Okay. Well, you know, to transition a little bit, I guess the first question I want to ask you, and this is, this, this is all off script. Now we are completely throwing the script away. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, I guess my first question is, and it's something I think all three of us can talk on because I think it gets brought up a lot is, you know, the first thing I hear is, well, if I don't shoot it, the neighbors will. Um, So I guess, I don't know if Pat, if you want to first take it away and what's your your combat, I guess, to that. Here, let's start with neighbors. You know, I've, I've always been a people person, you know, not everybody is, but, you know, I've always enjoyed, you know, 
getting to know my neighbors and, and, and I think that's one of the starting points you got to do in Michigan. Um, now let's not try to say you're going to manage or you're going to, you know, be able to hold deer, or protect them on 10 and 20 acres parcels. If you're hunting a 10 or 20 acre parcel, have fun doing it, you know, shoot that four pointer, shoot that, whatever you're shooting, have at it. But when I guess where we're going is the guys that are, you know, hunting 40 to 200 acres is kind of where I'm, my, you know, information is going to come into play. But so if you are in, indeed, we'll just use an 80 acres and you probably got four neighbors, you know, you probably got four different neighbors. Um, I suggest you start out getting to know those people. I am not a guy that knocks on the door and preaches QDM. I actually think I, in these are my opinions, of course, but I don't think that's a good way to start a relationship at all. And I don't even personally agree with if my neighbor doesn't want to shoot an older deer, I'm fine with that. I support him all day long. If he shoots a year and a half old deer, I have no problem. I never ever have a problem with that. And I never will. Um, back to what you said, you don't know where people are in their state of mind. He pays taxes. He wants to eat venison. Um, that's fine. Cool. Um, but what I think, if you get out to talk to your neighbors, one of the things to start with, I do think an, a, a conversation is too many deer getting killed, too many bucks. Um, not necessarily how big, but too many. You know, if your neighbor's got 40 acres next to you and he's pounding four yearlings off there every year, have a discussion, maybe, you know, talk him explain to him that killing two of them and killing four mature does and quite frankly you're going to get more meat off of a mature doe than you are that yearling buck so i think the conversations can start there to to help you as a neighbor if you are having tough time with your surrounding neighbors but communication helping people understand a little bit more about the age class and pressure um, I do think so when you say the neighbors, you know, that deer, I think that's a horrible attitude. And I think that a lot of people, if they do say that you can stop them right in their tracks. I mean, we've all let deer go, but I know that if I have the mentality that, that if that deer crosses the fence, he's going to die and I shoot him a hundred percent chance, he's going to die. If I shoot at him, <laughs> yep. Yep. you know, <laughs> if he crosses that fence, he might have a 90%, you know, or, you know, there might be a 10% chance he survives, Yep. you know? And then when you do see him on your trail camera in January, you're going to be, you know, you just can't have that attitude and attitudes, everything in life, whether it's your job or sports or whatever you're doing, attitude's important. Um, so that's a bad attitude. That's just a bad outlook on stuff. Um, so having that is, is, is not good, but having a fair relationship with your neighbors. And if you don't have it, and your neighbor's just that guy that's going to be difficult. He's going to invite everybody and he knows out to his property because he might just be a generous guy and uh, they're going to bang a lot of deer. Well, you got to do something different. You got to do something different. And I mean, move. You got to go find a different area if you are trying to shoot bigger deer. Yep. Um, if if you if you have the ability there. to do that, though, I mean, not a lot of if guys you have. have the you know, sometimes you might just have to bite, bite the bullet and just say, "Okay, well, he's going to be that way, 
and I just have to, you know, and that might be something where it's like you have to grit your teeth a little bit more and figure out your property a little more and then maybe go into, you know, maybe some management practices like TSI or something and trying to hold your deer a little bit better when that, and that's kind of when it gets fun for me too. And it's just like, you know, you know, making the land a little better and, and making it more, um, I guess obtainable or more, you know, appealing to the deer to stay there, I guess. Well, I was in a little rabbit hunting tournament today that some buddies put on, you know, and I was out in an area that I know really well and I'm not going to, but the, what you're talking about too if you do have that area and you do have that 40 acres and your neighbors are high pressure if you do protect your 40 i can assure you that that biggest buck in that area is going to end up on your property 100 guaranteed (laughs) if you put some effort into the bedding ground and you do have some sort of area where he can call home that deer will naturally find that 40 acres if you do the best job you can of low pressure and not going in there. I do believe that you can, even with that neighbor over there doing what he does, there's a chance that he might get over. But if he's, and I do say this even on my bigger pieces and my neighbors, if they want to shoot that younger deer, let them. I'm not even hunting that deer. I'm right. hunting a different deer. Yep. And so there's always usually, even in these high pressured areas in Michigan, in mid Michigan, you know, you take an average mile section there's going to be three or four three-year-old deer, at least good two-and-a-half-year-old deer. And I believe that if you do have that area, that them bucks are going to find your protected area where he can call home. But you got to be careful. And that goes back to, you know, I know we're going to hit on another topic here about sanctuaries. And if you can create your 40 acres and make that a sanctuary, the deer don't know what property lines are, but they do know what a safe haven is. And if they can find that spot and you don't consistently bump him out of there, then I do believe you'll be able to have an opportunity greater than your neighbor will. And, you know, so, yeah, back to the ad. The attitude that if it jumps the fence, uh, it's going to die, that's just a bad attitude. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And, you know, I think Justin will probably agree with that as well. Um, and, you know, he, he comes from a di- little different area too because he hunts public land. So he's, he's uh, <laughs> I mean, you can speak a little bit more on that, but you're, I mean, you're rubbing shoulders with people out there. Yeah, and I I've been lucky, and I, I don't know if this is because I'm finding good places or if people just don't bother going, but I, I haven't really had too many encounters with other hunters on public land in Iowa for the last two years, but um, I did teach myself a, a hard lesson this year, and I, I passed up a buck that literally I could have dropped an arrow on. He went, his his ass touched the tree that I was in as he walked by. Pat, this is a deer that you I and I wouldn't pass up. He he screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's I it's that expectation thing. And I mean, I had seen three different bucks in there in three days in a row, and I was like, man, they just keep getting better. And I had some encounters in this particular place last year, and I, I don't know. I, I I even told Aaron like a couple days later, like I screwed up. I should have shot that that buck. I I'm gonna hit on that. You know, we're off subject. This is just going. Yeah, but this go, is great. Do what you gotta so, do. What you're what you're talking about right there is something that if you shoot a deer, think about all the 
if you shoot every good buck you see immediately when you see it, you don't ever really get to watch what a good deer does. And I, I, I'll just go back to a deer that I, you know, we talk about our, my buddy, Jack Bunker, who does Aaron, you know, he hunts, he and I hunt the same property. Uh, and the, the buck that, you know, we always have a couple of bucks that we're working on getting to four and, and we're pretty successful doing it, you know, and, and we find their antlers. We, you know, we have, you know, we're doing a good job of that. He and I, and, and my wife, Nikki, and we're, uh, there's a buck we called a frame and this would have been 2018 season. Um, he was a three and a half year old deer, a deer that five years ago, I shoot him the first moment I see him. Well, you know, he was even, he was 125 inches at three and a half years old, gorgeous deer. His brow tines almost touched in the middle, just a gorgeous Michigan deer that you know, but there's an example. Um, we decided let's, let's see if he can slip. And, you know, we find his antlers in January, we trail camera and we know he's still alive. I had that. I have a video that is, and I do video just about everything that I do in all the States I go to, I self video my stuff, not for broadcasting, just for, for archive. And, um, I got a video of that deer, a dog and a doe that it's remarkable. It's absolutely, I have a water hole and, and I literally watch that deer, that buck chase that doe around that water hole. The count on the video is 14 times ring around the Rosie. It was, he chases her up by me. I could have shot him, but I got to watch him. And I think that's part of what I'm getting at here is, you know, if you just shoot them deer, you don't actually get to watch and appreciate how awesome those moments can be and how cool a deer really is and hear the noises and, and see them in their natural way. Well, yeah, that deer, uh, that deer makes it through to this year. And now it's a four year old, 135 inch eight pointer, beautiful buck. Now his brow tines are eight inches. They almost touched completely. I mean, he's a gorgeous deer and, uh, he was one of our top deer. Well, there was another deer that I had on my hit list that, uh, this particular night this year, he was a, you know, a good mature, you know, some might use the word management deer. Um, I, I, I that word to me is kind of goofy, but <laughs> it's, it, to me too. It, it's a, tr- it's a trophy deer. You know, this is a, this is a 200 pound whitetail buck with, uh, you know, a 20 inch inside spread, you know, his, he wasn't going to be a great scoring deer. He scored 120, 125 inches, whatever, but this was just a stud deer. Um, we had him on, on the farm for actually not, uh, he was for sure four and a half might've been older, but regardless, uh, he presented a, an opportunity to me and you always know when a deer's walking away from you from the back, he always looks so big, you know, and he, he slipped yep. under my tree and he just <laughs> caught me perfect. And I said that it's time. That's yep. my deer that I'm going to take <laughs> off this farm. So I shot him and he runs off and dies and. You know, I'm feeling good about myself. My feet are kicked up in the stand. And uh, not 30 minutes later, here comes A-Frame. And uh, and I got to, as he's coming in, I had this feeling of, you know, that's a deer that I have his sheds. I have this awesome footage of him. I seen him multiple times at three, just trying to get him to four. Now he's at four, and my bow's over on the bow hook, 
and I just kind of chuckled to myself because I wasn't going to shoot it. You know, I I like to kill one buck off each one of my farms, and I was done. You know, and I thought this is neat. You know, here's an opportunity to watch a 135-inch buck, four and a half years old, and I got to watch him that whole evening, and I got to see some extraordinary stuff. I mean, making scrapes, snort wheezing, running every other buck that he's seen off. And I was on a, a small food plot inside the woods, and, and it was just awesome. But, again, back to what we talked about, and if you don't, you know, sometimes letting a buck go, you can get more enjoyment enjoyment out of that than putting them in the back of your truck. And I think not everybody will agree with that, but I think at some point, if you've seen enough of them or done enough of it, you start to appreciate that. And, and as awesome as it is, my buddy Jack killed that buck and, and I'm happier that he got him than I did. So it was just, it was awesome. Well, and I think Justin, and I'll, I'll kind of lead to you here. I think you passing that buck actually did get you more enjoyment and fulfillment because of what happened with you and Allie. Is that, I mean, did I, yeah. is, that, is that right? Oh, it, yeah, it's hundred percent right. It's, I ended up shooting a buck that I saw the first day in there on the first set that I made, but I actually had my wife with me and we were in the same tree. She was, she was going to be the shooter and, uh, that buck stepped out and she didn't have a shot and I had him, I had him free and clear broadside at 30 yards with the camera on him with pre-roll and. And I was like, there's an extra set of legs and a set of hands. It's on camera. Game over. And I shot him. And it's, it's, I passed a bigger deer, like I said, which was two days prior. And I had seen another one that same day, that same morning that I passed the one that was even bigger than him. Like that was, I identified as my target buck in there, but it's just too hard to, 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 to call a target buck, a target buck on public land. I mean, yeah, sure. You can. You can go in there and hunt him out and hope for the best and try to figure out one specific animal. But I'm going in there and I'm hunting the terrain. I'm hunting the landscape. I'm and I'm doing what I know how to do as a deer hunter. And I'm taking the first opportunity I get. Like I'm, I, I kicked myself in the ass for not shooting that one. But like Aaron said, I was able to have that experience with my wife, and it was the first time she was ever with me on a kill like that. It was on camera, and we we had fun. It was it was a great night. She helped me drag it out. We suffered together and had someone there to high five. So it was, it worked out. And that's been something neat to just to hit on the wife thing a little bit. You know, it's, uh, it, getting Nikki, my wife, into hunting has been, uh, it's really been, it's been hard. It's trying times. I mean, you, you wonder, you know, you think about hunting, oh, it's guys' time, you know, but, you know, her and I have grown now to the point where, you know, she's only time she's ever mad if I'm going hunting is if she ain't going with me, you know? And, uh, yeah. it, it being part of those experiences. And this year, as a matter of fact, we just put Nikki's buck on the wall, uh, a couple nights ago, got back from taxidermist and, and down at our property down in, uh, Montcalm County. Um, Nikki shot her biggest buck of her life last year. Um, a beautiful nine pointer, one of the coolest deer we've ever hunted, um, a fun deer to hunt, knew about him for a couple years. And, and she did a, you know, it was a, it was tough. We'd seen him three days in a row. She killed him on the third day, but no, it was, it, it those are the things that, that make it all worthwhile. And that's part of what, you know, my, my big picture here of this conversation is, is, 
you know, that deer's out 160 inch Iowa buck. It's 135 inch Michigan deer, but it can be as good as a Boone and Crockett deer from, from Illinois. I mean, it, it, it just, people can, they're here and you can have a lot of fun in your local state. Um, don't get discouraged and have some good attitude and faith that you can, that you can do that here in Michigan where sure. you're at home. Yep. No. And, and I agree. I, I, I just had uh, a guy come up to me. I mean, within the last month and I, I'm, I'm going to hit on two points here. And the first one is he asked me uh, if, or how do I still get excited to hunt Michigan? And, you know, cause he knows that I hunt out yep. of state and, you know, I've done it for, you know, 10 years or so now and have killed a lot bigger deer out of state than I have in Michigan. Um, and I said, absolutely not. I said, honestly, I haven't been able to hunt a Michigan rut since 2012 and it kills me every year, even though I'm going out doing one of literally the best jobs you could ever have as, as an outdoorsman and a hunter. But I have, I want to hunt a Michigan rut again. Uh, you know, that kills me. And he's like, well, how, how do you get excited still for hunting Michigan? And I said, how don't I? Like, I, I'm a hunter. Like, you know, yep. I, I mean, hunting is my favorite passion. It, it is the thing that I do every day of the year. The only thing that comes in front of that is my family, you know, and, and, my, my, my job is number two with it. Cause I do it with my job. So that's goes hand in hand. But you know, for me killing a 180 some inch deer in Iowa and getting a chance at killing a three-year-old 125 inch deer in Michigan, I get the same blackout effect when I yep. get the encounter. I, I just do. And the day that that goes away here in Michigan, that'll be the day that I quit hunting Michigan. I'll never quit hunting Michigan. I can tell you that it's just because I was born into this and same thing with upstate New York. You guys have a strong tradition, PA, Wisconsin, Michigan, huge, strong tradition with hunting and deer camps and, you know, growing up, going out hunting, you know, when you were little, not saying nobody else did that either, but you know, I, I was, I was part of a deer camp when I was five years old and I grew up with that. And, um, he just couldn't believe that I, I still had like the fire to go do it. And I'm like, I, I love it. And honestly, sure. you know, I've got uh, two properties here in Michigan that I've hunted. One I've hunted my whole life. The other one that I just started hunting a couple years ago and it's a challenging farm. I mean, it's only got four acres of timber on it and I love hunting it, love hunting it because the caliber of deer that I get on camera and I encounter is, is, is been some of the biggest deer I've ever had an opportunity at in Michigan. And that's just, and and that's a story for itself, but it's, it's unbelievable. I love doing it. And I don't know. And and then I guess the second point is this year I I had an opportunity to to kill two great deer, one in Kansas, one in Iowa, killed the one in Iowa first. He went 186, great deer. Seven days later, I kill 120 inch deer in Kansas. I've been getting flack and I wouldn't uh, maybe hate mail I, I guess I could call it hate mail about killing <laughs> mail. that deer um I, I guess that's the best way I can describe it hate mail but like for killing that that 120 inch deer in Kansas now people are saying why would you kill a deer that big or that you know that small in in Kansas you know why 
that was one of them. The other one was you just killed a, a 180 some inch deer. Why would you kill this one? Yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, first of all, <laughs> when I saw that deer in Kansas, when I first saw him, he got my heart going so hard. And I knew, I, we kind of knew what deer it was. He was a four-year-old. Okay. So he's a 120 inch, maybe 120 inch four-year-old eight pointer. Yep. I was going home the next day. Okay. Not that that was, you know, you wouldn't kill the first deer or deer on the first day. You wouldn't kill on the last, not, not a situation like that. We had just killed an eight year old buck that morning that I filmed. And now the guy that I filmed killing, it was filming me that night. So the story's there. It was unbelievable. It, you know, it wasn't like, oh, there's just deer. I'm just going to kill it. It was not like that at all. I was just excited about killing that deer as I did the the giant seven days before that. I'm a hunter well, through and through. And you, Aaron, this is, this is, this is a, fun, a fun conversation. Um, you know, and part of what you just talked about, I can relate to big time because I've been, you know, even since I could tell I was telling you before, you know, even since I was old enough to, to start hunting you know i've been a i've been called a killer you know i mean but i harvest i eat we live you know we maintain and we manage this deer herd because of guys like us i mean but you've killed some great bucks you know i've killed some great bucks i almost think sometimes you know we both have been fortunate to kill you know i, I killed a in 2016 in iowa um in Otumwa, I killed a 201-inch 17-point. Uh, again, a buck that I'll never see. I'll, I'll probably never uh, get an opportunity yet again. Maybe I will. But I'm at that point, that kind of that been there, got that, it kind of allows you now, if you see and you're happy with that 125-inch buck in Kansas, you shoot it, that you're a hunter. That's what you do. And that's how I feel. You know, I killed a 138 inch eight pointer in Kansas this year, uh, walking to my stand. Um, and it was a windy morning. I mean, it was, it was, the wind was 35 miles an hour. You couldn't even go to your, to hunt that morning. Wouldn't even have been safe to get in the tree, but I wanted to be in my stand when that wind stopped at, you know, about noon, but I wanted to be in there at about 11 so I'm getting back in there. I had about a mile walk probably to get to where I needed to get to my tree. And as I'm almost to my tree, I look up and I see antlers coming, quartering to me. Well, and one thing that I always tell anybody to do, when I get out of my truck, I don't care if it's my properties or when I'm out of state, anywhere, when that door shuts, my release is on my hand. And don't ever get caught with your pants down. And and I mean that if you, if you don't put your release on when you enter the woods, my goal is to go to that woods and shoot a deer. That's what I'm there to do. They may not even get to the tree stand to do it, but my goal is to kill a deer. And I've, and you know, I'm glad I did, you know, a lot of times guys will throw all their stuff in a backpack on a mile long walk, but then they won't put their release on, you know, I'm glad I had my release ready. Here comes this deer. I see tines. I lay on my stomach. I have just enough time to knock an arrow. And at this point, this deer's, I had to, I had to make an educated guess um, that he was, you know, in and around that 40, 45 yard range. And he went behind one tree and it gave me an opportunity to stand up as fast as I could, 
while coming to full draw and he stepped on the other side of that tree and I was able to put a great shot on him. And again, that wasn't what, you know, when I bought my Iowa tag and I went, or sorry, Kansas, when I went to, to Kansas, I had him this ideas of killing his, a 160, 170 inch deer, but that experience alone got me as excited or more than had I been sitting in the tree watching a 160 inch 10 pointer walk up and shoot him. So all of those things boil down to us being hunters and appreciating the moment. And it doesn't always need to be about how big that buck is. It's, it's the experience. I mean, how many times do you, do you walk into your stand and shoot a deer, you know, on the ground with you at 45 yards? I mean, it was, it was awesome. Not very but, often. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but and, and that, that can all come back to Michigan, you know. And one thing I do, you know, people that are listening to this, if they're in our local area in Michigan listening to this podcast, that maybe don't go or haven't had an opportunity to go out of state and hunt some of these other areas – it is a great experience. There are tremendous opportunities and, and it's neat to see new parts of America and go out and do it. But um, it you can also have a tremendously awesome time right here locally. But you if you're not having fun with it or you're getting your butt kicked or your neighbors are bad news, um, you got to change. You have to be willing to change starting with your attitude. But then you gotta go knock on doors and talk to people, communicate. Um, the state land today. I mean, we all know with mobile setups, um, you can get into some of these great places in Michigan state lands. And with Onyx Hunt and with with GPS today, and with a good attitude and a little bit of hard work, you can get yourself deep into these state lands where people don't want to go traditionally. Um, and you can have some great hunts. I mean, uh, one of my closest buddies this year, who's, you know, really taken the hunting public and, and mobile hunting to another level. Um, I was able to be part of something incredible this year of, of skinning and packing out a 145 inch eight pointer killed in around our area, um, on state land you know, on a pack in, pack out hunt. And to me, he proved, and this is a guy that has three kids, a family, works hard, you know, doesn't have a whole bunch of extra money to, to go around and lease land and do things. But he, he had a good attitude and he's tackled the state land. And just for the people and the, and the listeners tonight, know that here you have opportunities if you put effort into it. And effort is number one. You know, you got to be able to put in the effort. And if that means going in and knocking doors to get to know, you know, there's nice, there's a lot of people that if you stop and talk to them today in Michigan and offer them a thousand dollars to rent their land, you know, whatever that might be. And if people think that's too much money, I know that there's some very large names in the hunting world that say you should never rent land and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I have my own opinion there. Um, renting lands a heck of a lot cheaper than owning it and, you know, creating that relationship between you and the landowner, um, by just going out and communicating, you can, you can find good land in mid Michigan 
but you got to put in the effort. And if you're not having luck where you're at, you have to change. And if you don't, you're going to be frustrated and you're not going to enjoy it. And you're going to say, I can only have fun if I go out of state and hunt. Yep. Well, you can only go out of state one week a year if you have a, you know, kind of a, what we call a normal job that you only get a couple weeks off. So, you know, or you can have in Michigan, which I do think our seasons are a little long, but, um, you know, or you can have fun here for eight months out of the, or eight weeks out of the year, you know, so. Yeah. And I agree. It's, you know, it, it for me too, hunting Michigan is, is, is convenient as well you know it's it's right here and it's relatively cheap for me i've you know i have a lease that i do pay for here in michigan but i also have some family property that uh i'm I'm fortunate enough that i just get permission and i can hunt it so that's you know that's awesome too i i I have been wanting to do the public land thing i've never hunted public land never i've never really had to have i've had to hunt public land really but uh, I've scouted some public land and, you know, in our area really wanted to dive in. But then when it comes to, you know, summer, when I'm, you know, getting cameras out and getting pictures of deer and everything, I have better bucks that I want to chase on private land. And then right. the public land yep. always goes to the wayside. So it's like, why would I, you know, and I, I have a, I have a two and a half year old daughter and a wife that has a crazy schedule at work. She's a nurse, you know, she works a lot of hours and, um, you know, I have, you know, I I can get babysitters if I want, but also my job, like I, you know, I'm leaving October, usually around the 20th and I don't get back till Thanksgiving. So it's like, where do I really want to spend most of my time and money and, you know, my sweat equity and then, you know, there's always times where it's like, well, if I'm sitting somewhere else, like if I'm on public land, well, I could be sitting in my private land stands and maybe, you know, it's so it's that give and take that I have. I'm in kind of a unique situation. Like a lot of guys, I would love to be the guy that could sit back until, you know, that, you know, last week of October and then hut my butt off for three weeks you know, throughout the rut and then, you know, and, and wherever it be, I would love to be that guy just to keep the pressure down on my farms. I'd love to be that guy, but I've really changed how I've really approached hunting in the last three or four years and how I hunt differently because this new farm I told you about, that's only, you know, there's four acres of timber on it, but one is a three acre patch and the other one's a one acre patch. So you know, access is kind of hard because it's always going through like a fence row or right. a field edge. So it's like, you really got to change how you hunt, how you access it. And, you know, in the pressure, you got to keep it low. You got to strike at the right time. And it's really taught me a lot of different things and really grown as a hunter because the last two years I've had some opportunities at deer that I never thought I'd have opportunities at in Michigan on small acres that, uh, yep. you know, a lot of people would never really realize and might, you might, you know, in the middle of a section, you might look at, a you know, four or five trees that might take up about a half acre, but that half acre at the right time of the year is probably a really good hotspot. And it, you know, not a lot of guys look at that. So, um, that, that's what I find f- so fascinating about it well, as well. Oh, we can bump into that with that again. You know, one of our main topics here, you just started to talk about and, and that's in and out of, you know, our properties. And for those that are listening that, you know, one thing that I, I like to think 
I have not perfected, but I've, I've tried my hardest to, to perfect is the pressure on my properties. Um, 365 days a year, I treat it like it's opening day. Um, I know it sounds crazy to some people, um, but it doesn't matter if, if I'm on my properties or my buddies are with me or we're, you know, we're shed hunting or we're planting the food plots or we are hanging tree stands. Um, you don't slam your doors on my property. You know, we use, you know, like you, you talk in a deer voice, which we all know what that is, you know, but that even goes for June and July or, or even when, you know, tomorrow is going to be a great day to shed hunt. You know, when I'm out there, I'm, I'm still extremely cautious at any time that I step on my property um, of paying attention to that. And I think that if you're not, I think you should start because if you underestimate what a deer knows, remembers, can hear, um, you're crazy because that, that deer that's bedded, if you're not talking and you're not being loud and obnoxious and, and if you're just, you know, using what I call a deer voice and you're that deer will lay there and I know they will, um, I've seen them do it. And I think it's important that no matter when you're on your properties, that you are treating it like it's you're going hunting. And it might sound a little goofy, but, you know, that's something that I pride myself on on our properties is how quiet I keep them, you know, even in in the non-harvest season. Uh, I think that the more comfortable you can allow them deer to be, the more time they're going to spend on your property and that'll give you more time to either a let them get older or b be able to harvest them. If that's, you know, what your goal is at that time, because he or she has been comfortable there because she had, you know, they haven't been irritated and deer are, they hate people. I mean, it's just, a, they don't like them and I can understand why, but, I think that when it comes to your properties, you can't, you got to treat them with respect, you know, even if it's a 40 or, or uh, even though, you know, our, we have 150 acre pieces, but you got to go into them and you got to be careful. And I think you need to do that year round. I don't know what you guys think about that, but that's, that's how I've always approached my properties. And some of my buddies, if they haven't been there before or before and might shut a door hard, I, I have to give them the, the short and sweet talk about, you know, <laughs> being careful. You don't, know? don't do that. We don't do that. There. <laughs> yeah. That, that's just not done. And, um, those things I, I try to get better at as I go. And even if we're hanging tree stands in, in, uh, in April or May, you know, it's, it's not hooting and hollering or screaming that I need the chainsaw or you need to do this or that. It's you're doing it all in and out of there as quick as you can. Um, and, you know, we talked about, you know, we're talking about sanctuaries and I consider my entire property a sanctuary. <laughs> um, obviously we have core areas that, that we really try to protect, but I treat the whole property like it's a sanctuary. Um, when I check my trail cameras, it's done strategically when, when we're tracking deer, it's done strategically. I mean, everything's got a plan and it's all executed with is, 
the, you know, limiting the, the sound and the noise and the human scent and human pressure, because in the long run, that's going to keep those deer on your property. Then, then, you know, if you want to do something to protect them from going to your neighbors, start by treating your property like it's a sanctuary, the whole piece. You know, that, that makes a good point. So if anybody's listening to this and if you had some advice for them to kind of go further into this, let's say somebody out there listening to this has got a piece of property that, uh, that they hunt. And let's say, you know, they, they hunt with a couple other guys, regardless the size of it, you know, so there's, there's guys probably with different mindsets, you know, um, cause that happens a lot. Um, maybe some similarities, but some possibly some different mindsets. So when you're going into it, how you say, you know, you treat your property regardless, whenever you step foot on that, it's, it's with precaution and it's calculated no matter what, whether you're yep. tracking a deer or whether you're hunting or checking a camera or, you know, shed hunting it. Um, I guess what are some of the first steps that, you know, you're implementing to the farm to, to kind of get it conditioned that way? Are, are you, are, is there certain, you know, parts of your farm where you section off or you're like, I'm, I'm never going to go in there. You know, because that's yep. what you hear a lot, of, a lot of times from guys with sanctuaries. Like the only time we go in there is if a deer goes in there that we have already shot, and we need to go get them. That's the only time. Yep. Is that how you do that, or is it literally if you have two hundred acres, that two hundred acres doesn't get touched unless it's walking to a stand that might be on a fringe or something? Well, it's kind of unique. The the three properties that I that I hunt, the one in, that I grew up on, the farm in Clare. Um, Isabella County and Montcalm County are all kind of kind of unique properties because they're all kind of similar. There's majority of it is timber, um, and with some small ag fields that don't really produce that good of agriculture. But you know they're there, 20, 30 acres of, you know whether it's beans or corn or alfalfa, whatever gets put in there. You know I manage the farming rights as well, but the. Uh, it, Number one is how I get in and out of the properties. Um, I take that extremely kind and the properties are established. I've been on these properties for many, many years, you know, so kind of my, you know, my main access points on these particular properties are established for many years ago. But when I did establish them and I have moved them, you know, I have done things different than I did when I started hunting the properties, but, uh, how I get in and out of the property and how, if you're listening, you know, if you, you have to have a strategic way you get in and out of your property. Cause what you don't want to do is bust into the center of your property and have those deer go left and right. I mean, that's, that's the worst. And so you got to, first of all, be able to look at your access points to be able to get in there to, to stay as far away from those areas where those deer are going to be bedded. And that's what we're all trying to do, right? You're trying to get in in daylight or just before or trying to get out of the property without really scaring the deer and how we get in and out of our, and then that's why I've, I've really been able to, to hunt what I call the perimeters of our properties. And, you know, I kind of, it's opposite of kind of what, you do on the state land, you know, you're trying to get into the bedding areas and you try to get in, you hit it hard. Um, and you take your chances and you get in there and you wait. 
I don't need to do that. You know, Aaron, you probably don't need to do that on your farms as much because we can be patient enough because we know that we, the whole property, them deer are comfortable. They're going to slip up eventually and get to the perimeter of, or the corridor to that food source that you're waiting for them to go to. And, uh, you know, so getting in and out of the property is super important on how you go to your stands and how you leave them. You know, we do things, and I think if you have some friends or you're hunting it with a buddy or, or, you know, in this case, my wife, you know, there's certain inside corners where the, we do got to get across the field where one of us are going to literally not hunt that night so that the other person can drive the vehicle into the tree stand to pick you up. And I say that, and maybe you guys might agree or not, but I, I have, I feel a lot safer driving a vehicle, whether, you know, your pickup truck to that tree stand to pick up that person, bump those deer with your pickup truck, rather than climb out of that tree and try to sneak across that field or, you know, back out to your truck. I think you can do more damage um, doing that than you can bring in a, a vehicle in, leaving it running, four-wheeler, whatever, and then leaving um, in that vehicle. And, and that's something we've also tried, you know, been very cautious about how we get in and out of the properties. And, you know, morning hunting, you know, if you are a morning hunter, uh, we don't have a lot in common. Um, I don't think there's a, I don't, I don't think there's a, you know, especially if you, if you have a farm that and you're not hunting the rut, I don't see any reason to hunt in the mornings in October. Um, I just don't, uh, I think how many times, especially if you got a, 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 a decent sized deer population that you, it's really hard to get into any of our properties because, and I nothing worse than taking 10 steps into the woods and the whole place erupts. I mean, I've literally been walking to my tree stand in the morning before and took, you know, walked in a hundred yards and turned around and walked right back to my truck and went home. I mean, I just, I, I'm not a morning hunter. And, and I think that goes a lot to do with how I protect my property. I don't want them getting startled in the morning. We all know how quiet the woods is in the morning and it's just hard to get in and out of there. Now, if it's, November 6th or 7th and and you haven't got a buck killed and you think you need to get in there yeah that's a that's a time and and I've also you know I've went into my tree stand at three o'clock in the morning before and ratchet strapped myself to the to the tree so I didn't fall out I mean I, you got to do those types of things to be successful consistently I know, agree but, too and and also you know kind of hunting what the land is giving you you know, taking, yeah. taking the land in, however that is and and really analyzing it. So I kind of went against the grain a couple of years ago, how, you know, everybody says that there's this written law that you cannot walk through a ag field to get to your stand in the morning. Well, yep. you know, and, and I believe that, you know, I'm like, ah, you know, the deer are out there and it makes sense. The deer are out there all night hunting or not hunting, but eating and feeding. So why would you bump them? going in. So I took that approach like, you know what, I'm going to go against the grain. I'm going to push the envelope a little bit and I'm going to try something different. I might fall flat on my face or I might learn something and that's the best way I can learn. I went in there early. I got, you know, in in a morning and honestly, it was October, I want to say it was 
It was in October. I can't remember, but I'm in a little different scenario. I'm leaving. You know, I, I don't get a lot of time to hunt. So, well, and I'll correct myself. I can't say I've. I'm not going to sit here and say I don't hunt a single morning in October. I mean, there is circumstances that I have done it, but primarily, I have gotten away from AM hunting in October. If you don't necessarily need to, right? You know, yep. I, I, that's in my mine myself. was a cold front. A cold front had just come through. So I'm like, okay, I, I need to get in the stand. And the thought around, you know, I do too much work on my farm and in the off season to not hunt. So I'm like, well. I need to get in there. I had the good, I had a good wind and I'm like, yep. I'm going to get in early. I want to be in, you know, sitting, breathing, just sitting with no sound an hour before daylight. So I got in and that morning, the deer that I've been hunting, you know, it was a, he's a four-year-old walked to, you know, 30 yards and I stuck him in the high, so, high shoulder and, you know, tracked him for two days and never found him, and he ended up getting hit by a car in December. I encountered him like Jeez. six more times, never could get an arrow or a bullet in him, and, you know, and he gets hit by a car, you know, on the side of the road where coming into my farm, and even more salt to the wound, I got a salvage tag to go, you know, pick him up after work, called the DNR, did, did my due diligence and all that, got there, and he was scalped. Somebody already cut his antlers off. So <laughs> that yeah. wasn't meant to be. It wasn't. No. And but that's just one thing. It's like, okay, I learned something yep. there. I went against the grain. It was a it was a, a standing bean field and I busted one deer that I know of going in cuz she I'm I'm guessing it was a doe. She blew and I got to so every time she would like kind of blow and I could hear her walking, I would move and I would go be calculating and slow. She couldn't see me. It was dark. She couldn't smell me, so she, I mean, for all she knew, she I was a coyote, you know, and got to my stand, got up, and she actually walked underneath me when it, at daybreak, so she had no idea, you know, because I could hear her. She only right. was 40 yards away, and so there's just different ways just to adapt and, and uh, just kind of, you know, hunt it the way the well, land gives you, too. And, and talk about getting in out of your out of your stands morning or night. Um, something that I've added to my to my program, and um, and I can't. I'm not <laughs> I'm not sponsored by any of these 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 manufacturers, but um, I have an uh, I purchased an electric because I have, I'm on a bean field on my one property, and our one my one stand that is very productive. You can get in there really nice at three o'clock in the afternoon, but trying to get out of there at, you know, you know, half hour after dark, it's, it's difficult. And if I don't have Nikki or one of my buddies that comes at me and come pick me up with a pickup, I'm stuck in there trying to figure out a way to get out. And, um, this year, uh, I borrowed one the year, uh, the year before, and then this year I bought one because I wanted to make sure, well, I'm dead set on electric bikes. Um, I don't know if you guys have been using them at all, but if you got to get in or out of somewhere where there's deer and you need to, I literally have found that you can ride past those deer in an electric bike and they just look at you. I mean, they bound off. I can't say enough good about them. I mean, and have we found other tools, other reasons for them? They're great for trekking trail cameras. Um, in Ohio, uh, we, we lease some land in southern Ohio. 
uh, that's, you know, if you guys been down around that Southern Ohio area, but the mountains are, they're tough and, you know, without a bike and now that we've had the bikes, those have made a great, um, addition to, to our program. And so anybody that's struggling to get in and out of properties walking that doesn't want to, you know, look into the electric bikes. I think they're, a, I think they're a good tool to, to add to your program. They're expensive, but they're worth it. Yeah. And, and we do the same way, you know, when we're traveling, we, ha- we actually have electric Rangers and we've drove yep. by deer. It's unbelievable how quiet they are. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. They let you, they just look at you. And I think it's cause it's a consistent movement. It's not making a lot of noise and uh, it, they can kind of tie it into farm equipment. We've all seen deer, how they react around farm equipment. They, they don't care. And, and I think that, them bikes are a consistent movement. There's not a crunching, you know, it's a consistent tire rolling and it's dead silent. And you cut across a hay field or a bean field a half hour after dark, I'll promise you will bust less deer on that bike than you will trying to walk. Yeah, I agree, man. Yeah. All good points. Um, I, I hate to cut this off right now, but we are, I mean, getting lengthy here. <laughs> We're at an hour and a yep. half. Um, you know, and and maybe we'd be able to do this again and get a part two going out. But I think uh, I think we got a good foundation and a good start. Uh, we went totally off script, so <laughs> none of the well, questions that it, we really had we were were answered. But we had good conversation going, so I wanted to go with it. But uh, um, yeah, I just want to say thanks for coming on and doing this, man. And and we're gonna have to do uh, a part two for sure. I appreciate it, Aaron, and it. Uh, I think it's great what you're doing, and. Hopefully people take some positive out of it. I think if anything, you know, be open-minded to change, you know, go outside the box and, and communicate. And if you're, if you're not enjoying where you're hunting or how it's going on the farm you're at, change, do something different. Don't stick to doing what you've always done because you'll get what you've always got. Yep. I appreciate that, man. Um, Good words to live by there. And, uh, again, thank you for coming on and doing this. And we'll do it again for sure. Stay in touch. Thanks. All right, there it is. Another great podcast. Thank you to Pat Jesse for coming on and uh, really diving deep into some conversation around Michigan hunting. And uh, we got a little off script. That's all right. I think it was a pretty good conversation. Hopefully everybody can take some positives out of it. Um, On a side note, thank you for the the downloads the subscriptions and everything um go to our instagram and facebook like them please spread the word about the fall podcast i really appreciate it if you guys like us go to itunes leave a five-star rating and leave a little comment in there that'd be uh greatly appreciated so thank you guys for listening and we'll see you here next week